1: Now a show that's going to give you the truth about the biggest epidemic of our times. We're all a little crazy.
2: Hello. It is time for another We're All Little Crazy podcast. Episode three. We're getting older here. I'm sports business reporter Darren Ravel, joined by Eric Kusin, sports executive, turned mental health advocate, helper, lover, everything. Um, we feel like we've gotten a lot of accomplished in the first two shows. Uh, this is going to be one for the books in terms of being raw and real and uncomfortable, which is why we share our stories and why we uh, put it out there because that's the gift. It's okay to have help, and uh, you got to get it before you need it. So um, Eric and I tonight are joined by Shamika Holdsclaw. Let's just say uh, not one of the best women's basketball players of all time, but one of the best basketball players of all time. And she has been a part of our same here, Global Mental Health um, Influencer Alliance and has told her story, given the gift of her story, and she's going to do it here tonight. So Shamiko, thanks for uh, being here.
0: Thanks for having me, guys. I appreciate it with the family what's up eric
2: (laughs) so
1: interestingly enough i'll give you the genesis of it so we shared on the last episode how theo became a part of the alliance and i was saying how you know there were athletes there were celebrities who'd shared their stories but it was usually like you got the disorder label and then that was it right and there wasn't much depth to the story and so Mm -hmm. theo was one of those guys who went real deep and we learned about sexual abuse that happened with him at a young age and the volatility of growing up in his household and Mm -hmm. i just remember reading um the espnw article that was written on shemiko where she had a long history we're going to get into it today of um holding things in and then she just unleashed and allowed it all out and when i heard her story i was like that's someone who gets the bigger picture that vulnerability is the key to connection that brings us all together because without the details it's hard for people to relate and so having the nba family background uh i'll shout out to there was a woman named joan roche was her name uh at the nba she connected Shimiko and i and Darren, you're probably not surprised about this just because you know me well, but Chameka and I think we're on the phone for about two and a half hours the first time we spoke. Yeah,
2: not a a surprise. Marathon sessions. And so the first time you speak is always a marathon session, Eric.
0: Yeah, definitely.
1: (laughs) It's all good. The the reason why I think Chameka, you know, is is such a champion in this space is because of her openness, because of her vulnerability. And what we wanted to dive into in this show in particular, and Theo's going to join us in a bit, is it's one thing to have a show and say, okay, here's the thread that we notice, the things that are going on. It's another thing to bring on guests and knowing Shamiqua's story, most of it, but she's probably gonna share some things that I don't know right now. That one of the threads we mentioned we were gonna be a little bit controversial here and we're gonna talk a little bit about the things that, oh, they do not talk about. And in my case, you know, the both of you know the story, but I'll open up a little bit more. When I first started dealing with with the most intense portions of the challenges that I was facing in Florida I first went to a doctor who immediately prescribed me Paxil and that was after I had lost interest in things like you know going on dates going to the gym seeing friends and that Paxil sent me on this spiral where my brain just felt dysfunctional and I was recommended immediately after taking that Paxil to go to a psychopharmacologist so for those who don't know the difference between the two psychiatrist is, you know, usually prescribing the medication, psychopharmacologist is kind of mixing medications to see what combinations work. And after meeting with that guy, he tells me I have a shitload of anxiety on top of a shitload of depression. Paxil's not enough for me. I need heavy artillery for it to be knocked out of me. And I left that appointment that day with a prescription for five different medications to be taken at once. And so, you know, Chamiko wanted to dive into your story because, you know, I'm sure you're going to get to the meds portion of it. But given a little bit of background on your this high performer at a young age, you're dealing with some of the volatility mm-hmm. at home that you're dealing with. Talk a little bit about athlete mentality, putting on faces, not needing to ask for help, not wanting to ask for help and why we don't. And then where that leads you to when you finally do decide to ask for help.
0: Yeah, I think for me, you know, just starting out as a young kid, you know, growing up in the story of having my parents separate. So here I am living in a middle class area in Queens, Jamaica, Queens. Now I'm living with my grandmother while my mom. Trauma. Trauma, the rehab. Trauma, yeah. right there, yeah. trauma. Trauma. And also, man, you tack on the fact like, yeah, I found basketball. It was something that was soothing to me. But also, you know, the emotions that I'm dealing with, you know, having to learn at a young age to stuff them. My grandmother was the most important person in my life. I didn't want to upset her. So a lot of the stuff that I was dealing with, I tried to hide it. And for me, picking up that behavior as a young kid and sort of like pushing along just sort of followed me, even though my grandmother was uh, ahead of the curve as far as, you know, getting me to a therapist and having some you know understanding that I needed to open up and talk to them. But if you tell me as a young kid, oh, these things that happen in the household, you're going to work through that. Don't take your business outside of the house, you know, sort of like what happens in your household stays here. You know, how am I gonna go now to a therapist? Like, I don't really identify. It was probably some kid from Columbia or NYU who's uh, in the projects to, to basically get these hours to do therapy, That's to be honest with you. And I just remembered the gentleman trying to connect with basketball and try to get me to open up. He had a little Nerf hoop and I'm shooting. And I'm like, there's no way I'm gonna tell this gentleman like all my feelings and emotions. So I learned to just, you know, you, you learn to people, please say the right things so you can be released and go back to doing what you're doing. And that just kind of like followed me. Um, you, were, you, were, you, were, you were
2: just, you were just doing the motions. That's all you were. Yeah.
0: Doing. Just, just, you just went to a therapist
2: the because you were told you had to go to a therapist and it was just mm-hmm. like, okay, just doing my job, not really getting anywhere. No catharsis, no nothing.
1: Now, even though you're keeping it inside me at this point and you're not opening up so much to the therapist, is the therapist putting a label on you at this point or early on? It was just talking to them.
0: Oh, man. Uh, he. I remember he talked to my grandmother. Of course, you hear her the term, you know, she's suffering depression. What kid wouldn't be going through some type of emotional change um, being taken away from their parents? Like, you know, I'm going through these things. They did not try to give me medication at that point. You know, I was like 11, 12 years old, um, just trying to, you know keep an eye on me, watch me. But I was I was in, the, in a phase where I wanted to wear dark colors, y'all. I remember wanting to wear all black all the time and p- paint my room black. You know, I was just really missing my mom and dad. But sports, sports was a happy place to me. That's when I found the game. So that really stuffed a lot of those emotions. I'm like on this new high now. I'm, I'm loving the game of basketball. Um, I'm the only girl out there. I'm pretty good at it. So that gave me a high and and I just started chasing that.
1: And that high, Shimiko, you know, I think back to the commonality, because I think what so many people can relate to, whether it's basketball in your case, where you're this high Mm -hmm. achiever, whether it's Darren and he's calling games, whether it's me and I'm making decisions Mm -hmm. in the boardroom about pricing or marketing feel come on, talk about hockey, but it happens to the dentist. It happens to the lawyer. It happens to Mm -hmm. the store shop owner is, you know, talk a little bit, you know, Meek about you're excelling at something. So in your mind, even though you're feeling these other things that you're going to the therapist for Mm -hmm. basketball is going to be the cure all, right? That that's all you need. Basketball is your way of getting away from it. You don't need anything else.
0: Right. You're right. That's my, that's my coping mechanism. You know, that's my, that's my drug of choice. You know, I'm getting this high, this this feeling of elation. So I want to stick with that. The other stuff I'm like, Oh my God, I cannot be sad because I'm paving a way. I'm opening all these doors. You know, I'm getting to do all this cool stuff, you know, overcoming your environment so my focus was not to look back it was to look straight ahead but I didn't realize like when you stuff those things and you constantly pack that bag ultimately it explodes and that's what it did and I didn't have the skill set you know from the time I've been what is it 12 13 years old as soon as I was good at something I, I was coached you know it's like oh She's going to be okay. She's gifted. She's special. You know, Um,
2: that's what I want to get into now. So mm -hmm. often when you cope by being great or driving it into something else, Mm -hmm. as a journalist, the storyteller just starts going, she's good. Like she, it's either like she got through the projects and didn't get shot because she played basketball and she got out. Right. (laughs) Right. No, no, no. That's the that's the Mad Lib that journalists go for, right? So, like, Mm -hmm. she had a tough upbringing. Her parents, well, they left, and her and she was left with their grandmother. But then they go to, but she's playing basketball, and she got out. But you didn't get out because you're still between your ears. That's the thing.
0: So do you think that
2: sometimes the story is, even though it it helps that you did what you did and that the story is almost like a disservice because it's not completely accurate to say that you are a hundred percent successful because you are ripping it up at Tennessee and the WNBA.
0: Right. You, Darren, you hit it, hit it on the nose, man. Um, definitely. I think, you know, with a lot of stuff that I was carrying, I'm sure adults, you know, college coaches, I'm sure high, my high school coach knew what I was dealing with, but never did I hear anyone say, Oh man, this kid's overcome Maybe we should, Um, have her talk to a therapist, you know, um, sort of sort out these problems and make me do it consistently because I think if I would have built that trust at a, at an early age and not feeling judged, I would have been in a, in a better place. Um, when I went to Tennessee, finally, it just came to a head and I had to go ask Coach Summit. Um, I couldn't sleep. Uh, We were winning championships and stuff and I was totally, um, a wreck, um, just wanted to sleep and i wasn't going to class and i'm like oh my god coach summit i don't know what's the matter and that was the first time an adult you know really said hey you got to do what makes me happy all right i'm still i'm like 20 years old i'm like what makes me happy is it playing video games hanging out with my friends so i'm like kind of going through everything in my mind and she's like hey i wanted you to talk to somebody And I said, talk to someone. I'm thinking a team psychologist, because, you know, our world is like, the sports world is like, oh, my God, I got to talk to the person that's around the team. I'm a captain. My friends and teammates are going to find out about this. Were
2: all these, like, strings attached, like these little little strings that, like, you're talking to the therapist because maybe they're evaluating you for something else. Can she be on the team, all this?
0: Yeah, you're right. So I just remember going. I went six times. and. I would say I started to see um, improvement in my sleep. I started to feel um, better emotionally. It was calming. But that day, man, I think it was like my sixth or seventh appointment when she touched on the childlike person inside of us and showed me them damn dolls sitting on that windowsill and tried to talk about my mom and dad. I wanted to run. Yep. I-, I never went back. I was like, oh, I'm fine. I-, I, I, I'm good. Oh, yes, I've learned breathing techniques. I'm good. I'm all right. Let me throw. Let me throw myself back in the basketball because that's gonna fix it, and that's what I did for so long. Just like didn't want to face things. I just wanted to to run. It was the tough stuff made me uncomfortable, and I just ran away. By, by think-
2: the way, was was Michelle Marciniak your teammate or no?
0: Oh yes, one year.
2: Yeah, because she she you know she she built a bedsheet empire. Speaking of sleeping.
0: Oh yep, sheets. <laughs> yep.
2: Darren yeah. is Darren is the purveyor of all useful,
1: useless.
0: No, I
2: I, I I I like uh, this is like a sidebar, obviously, but but uh, I don't know. Someone called me up, and they're like, yeah, it's it's uh, these these sheets, you know, they're like wicking sheets. It's by this woman named Michelle Marciniak. I'm like, you mean the basketball player from Tennessee? <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I'm like, there's not another yeah. Michelle Marciniak. So Pat's <laughs> so Pat Summit did turn out to be the person that she gets credit for in terms of uh she or or did she do it just as a practice
0: oh no no she's the real she's the real deal um she's always had an open door policy with her players but I'm not going to speak for everybody else right now I'm gonna speak for myself um yeah she she was willing to hold my hand and and walk me through the process and she got me there um she made me feel safe and secure so that was like a a plus plus and um i i started doing the work and it it really helped a lot but again my fear um not being ready um to just really unveil everything caused me to run again so
1: well tamiko and that and at that point like i want to because because you have so many interesting facets to the chronology of how your story plays out right and Mm -hmm. so darren hit on an important point which is when it's people with platforms, celebrities. In your case, mm-hmm. you're playing on this big stage in Tennessee. Yes, the reporter, which I, Darren and I, when we started this podcast, it was like, what stories are the media telling that's actually not helping the narrative, right? So he just gave yeah. one of those threads of, oh, mm-hmm. she went from this difficult place and now she's rescued and right. great, right? And mm-hmm. so people see that and immediately what they're
2: crazy. Mo- what's that because right it's <laughs> hey, what? crazy it's what? either yeah. it's either you've been rescued someone's been rescued yourself or you're 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 crazy you you know it, you, you totally busted and now you're crazy
1: right it's 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 spectrums and it's and and you're either great or you're awful and so in this case you know as i'm hearing in the shimiko it's like how many people are watching a story like that and seeing Chamika's love was basketball, so I gotta find what my love is because if I put my passion into what I love and I work hard, now I'm gonna be saved and everything is gonna be great. And what you hit on, Meek, is, is so important for people to hear because even though your grandma had you go to a therapist before you went to college, albeit you had to keep it to yourself, you were like, I didn't really dive into the trauma with that doctor. I wasn't really given the skills with that doctor, right? And and I think that's unfortunately so often the case, right? Like it's important for people to hear that you could go to like a traditional Freudian talk therapist who's just like, right. tell me about your life. Tell me, okay, let's dive a little bit deeper into that. and And if you find something that's your escape that you love doing, you could keep up appearances keep going and you're not actually getting to the core of what you need to work on would you agree with that meek
0: oh definitely i I learned to sort of like i said earlier manipulate the situation you know i I know Mm -hmm. what to say I, i i started figuring it out um to not touch on the things that really made me uncomfortable um i also had to learn because going to all these therapists over the years I thought initially, if I go to this one person that I had to stay there, that's the part that was driving me crazy because I'm just like, I don't like the way this individual sounds. This that is that so listen, that, that I, I, I,
2: you hit on something there. Um, and for people listening, I think this is really important. So when I knew when I found out I needed to get help, um, I went to like three or four therapists in like six months, and I didn't want to start over. I didn't want to be patient with medication. I didn't want to, I, I had so much impatience, but the whole like, oh my God, I'm gonna to have to tell this whole story again. Not really comfortable with this person. I don't think we're going anywhere, but like it's making it seem like, oh, I'm doing my therapy, it's on the calendar. Am I doing anything? So like, I feel like that is a common thread uh, where where it's like, it's a, it's a it adds another battle to the anxiety of knowing you're going through something.
0: Yeah, it's, I, was, I was on the phone with one of my um, friends and this individual served in the military and um, you know w- witnessed some very traumatic things. And they were telling me, okay, they, they're seeing this therapist or whatever for the last year and a half, right? Really got someplace in their feelings and emotions and dealing with PTSD. And now the therapist is leaving, and now they have to start off with someone new, and just the fear that they're ex- experiencing, like with Darren, it says like I don't want to start over, mm-hmm. I don't I don't want to go through this. And so, um, I think that's what a, a lot of people um feel, and they try to just stick out something that is not a good fit, um, just because um they they don't want to start over. But in some cases, I mean. I liken it to if you're dating, you know, trying to pick that person for your future. You just don't rock with the first person. You know, you got to kind of try, date around just a little bit, right? See what fits for you. Hey, Theo, what's up?
1: (laughs) Hey, Shmika. This is actually the perfect point of the conversation. So I'm going to bridge Theo in here. So Theo, if you don't mind giving up, because you and I talked a little bit about before this call, yeah, people. People who are listening to this know your trauma because you've you've been through it. But but talk if you don't mind taking us back a little bit to your coach in in your particular case or your doctor on your team as yeah. an NHL player. You're you're playing for the Rangers, and and what do you experience when you're on the ice? And now all <laughs> of a sudden, some of the trauma starts to build up in you, and and yeah. all of a sudden, you know, your world feels like it's falling apart.
3: Yeah, I would say that's probably when my mental illness showed up was in New York, you know, and, you know, we're playing against the Islanders, you know, huge game, Madison Square Garden, halfway through the game, I'm standing, getting ready for a face-off, and I look at the clock, and the clock goes blurry, and then next thing you know, I'm, like, waking up, and I'm on the ice, and I'm like, what the fuck just happened here, you know? And so I go into the dressing room, and, uh, uh, you know, I, I don't even know what's going on. And so I, I tell the doctor what's going on. And next thing you know, I got a script for clonazepam Okay. And, you know, it's like, I don't even know, it's like 0.5 milligrams. Right. And, you know, so I start taking this stuff. I feel good for a little while, but I'm still drinking. I'm still partying, you know. And so now I'm adding alcohol with the you know with you're, the, double, you're doubling up you're you're getting on oh, yeah. times the double yeah. and double dosing and uh and then you know and then I'm hooked to this I'm hooked on this stuff right and uh you know I can't live without it I can't function without it you know I'm I'm looking for it first thing in the morning you know um and uh and yeah so now so now I am on this you know merry-go-round of so then uh, you know, I go to treatment and, uh, so they're doing my assessment when I'm going into the treatment center. And so you got to tell the, tell the doc, all the drugs you're taking, you know, all the pharmaceuticals, all the street drugs, you know, all this stuff. And so I tell him I'm on this clonazepam stuff and he's looking at my history and he's going like, what, why are you on this? And I'm like, well, because it was what I was prescribed by our team doctor. And he's like, well, you know, I don't see, uh, a use for clonazepam. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to taper you off. Right. So here I am in treatment trying to work on my shit and I'm basically coming off clonazepam. And all I do is, you know, I'm doing this all day long, you know, coming off clonazepam and, uh, and, and so I get out of treatment and I go on this free, free agent tour uh, where I'm meeting, with the <laughs>
2: Phoenix,
3: <laughs> I'm meeting with the Phoenix Coyotes, I'm meeting with the Chicago Blackhawks and I'm telling them, guys, I just got out of treatment. I am not in shape. I haven't worked out. I haven't done anything. So then I get this, I get this offer, I get two offers, you know. They're, they're, like, they're like,
2: don't worry, a half of Theo is better than any of the other crap out there.
3: Pretty much. And so, you know, I get a an offer from Phoenix, which is, you know, a low salary with lots of incentive, right? And I know for a fact that I am not going to meet any of the incentives, right? So then Chicago sends their offer, eight and a half million dollars for two years and I'm like are these guys crazy you know and I'm like okay I got to take this offer so I go to Chicago um, they know I'm out of shape and uh, and then right away they're all over me like uh, you know like you me just agreed to
2: pay you 8.5 million dollars
3: yeah. what I told you up front I am not in right, shape right, right, I, right, right. and I will do everything I can to get my fat ass in shape. And, uh, you know, and then they come down hard on me. So what do I do? I go to the projects in Chicago one night by myself and I'm looking for some, for some cane, some cocaine, and I find some cocaine and I go to you know, the local strip joint where I like to hang out and uh, I get completely wasted. And uh, next thing you know, I'm at the Drake Hotel and the Chicago police force is looking for me. Every person in the organization is looking for me. And here I am holed out in a you know in a thing. So then I come out of that, I get suspended till Christmas time. I come out of that, I'm still not right in my head. So I go to the team doctor, he puts me on Paxil. And you know, here we are again. I'm I'm in the same shit show that I just tried to get out of. I'm back in it again. And uh so I finished the season out. I still have one year left on my contract. Uh I've somewhat got my shit together. I'm working out in the summer. I'm on the treadmill and I look in the mirror at myself working out, I press stop on the treadmill and that's when I made the decision that I don't want to play hockey anymore. I hate working out, I hate getting ready for the season, I'm not motivated, I'm not nothing and I just quit. And I didn't call the Blackhawks and tell them I wasn't coming to training camp, I I didn't call my agent, I didn't call nothing, I just disappeared. Into the abyss of the Sando de Cristo mountains in the middle of the desert, and uh, you know, about six months later, I had a gun in my mouth, you know, ready to, you know, end my life, and and uh, and all that. So yeah, it was it was quite the ride. So you know, so,
1: so Theo, we just you just took us from after you had this long run with Calgary, you win a cup there. You, you're in New York, we're, we're going through your professional career, we're hearing how you waited, because it sounds like that's a common theme here, Till things, shit really hit the fan. And where Chemiqua was was ending off was shit was hitting the fan because Chamequa, what I picked up on with you, and we haven't gotten to your pro part of your career yet, right now we're up to college, but for, for Darren and Theod, do you remember when Tyler Hamilton was at the event with us when we launched, and that's Lance Armstrong's teammate from the Tour de France, and he was saying that they were ringing the bell at the new york stock exchange and it should have been the greatest day of his life and instead it was the worst day of his life because of how awful he felt so Chamiko, when you just shared i'm winning titles i'm i'm at the top of my basketball career i'm
2: the best and women's basketball player in the country
1: potentially one of the best basketball players like you said generally in the world mm-hmm. um uh darren so Chamiko, like take us in your head at that point as as it sounds like you needed to get to that breaking point to have to go to Pat and to ask her, like, what do I do at this point?
0: Oh, definitely, because I couldn't function anymore. I wasn't myself. You know, everyone knows me. I'm I'm a pretty cheery person. Um, I'm the team, you know, the the funny person. I keep everybody loose, keep everybody happy. And here I was now, not one to hang around anybody. I was really isolating myself. So uh, when I went to her, I needed some direction. You know, I needed someone to be very hands on with me. And luckily at that time she did. Um, It was able to help me get through the rest of my time at Tennessee because I knew that I could trust her. But then it was like, I was kind of, I was looking forward to my pro career, of course, because there were so many amazing highs. And I think I relished in that. I, I, it was such a good feeling, you know, I just kind of like ate it up, but here I was thrown back into the big city again, you know, New York city, I'm a New York city kid. I know what that's all about but Tennessee was kind of like real slow paced you know i was able to focus uh, a lot less distractions and now here i am in wa- washington dc and it's just like wow like i'm excited to be back on the east coast but I just don't think I was um, ready. It, it was a lot. I'm, la- more I'm laughing,
1: Meek. I'm I'm laughing looking at Theo react to you. I have to tell the audience <laughs> what's going on because you're talking about Tennessee to DC, and you got Theo who's just talking about Calgary to New York City. So a lot of parallels yeah. going on. here, continue, Meek. But I had to at least jump in there oh, for a second.
0: Man, so DC. I mean, yeah, I, I was really. I felt alone. You know, um, you know, I got to do some pretty cool things. You know, you get to buy a house and all these all these things at 21 years old. And then I'm like, man, I'm coming home to this damn house by myself all the time. Like, I don't really need all this space. And then like that, that crappy little creature got in my head. And I just need people around me. You know, I, I, these people care less about me. You know, people want to be around me just to kick it, you know, because I'm, I'm the one that could get into the clubs. I don't have to wait in the lines or whatever. And so I was using them and they were probably using me. I was using them to keep myself out of my head. I didn't want to have to think about the shit uh, that was going on. And so now I found myself in D.C. And, I, you know, I like to go out, but I'm not like a party party person. And then I started to see my personality start to change, you know, because I needed that noise um, around me.
1: And, Meek, so, so, like, the, you know, I'm playing armchair psychologist in this talk between you and Theo as you're opening up. And, Darren, mm-hmm. maybe you'll get a chance to, <laughs> between me, get, get a word in here. But, but, so I think what the takeaway that we need everyone to hear here is that you were dealing with it when Pat sent you somewhere six, six sessions in, they're starting to get to the trauma, but we are works in progress our entire life and stress and trauma from events continue to happen. And so you're seeing Shamiko Holtschall getting drafted number one overall in the WNBA draft and going and living in this big city. You're seeing Theo Fleury win a Stanley cup, right? Win an Olympic gold medal and yet, To the the reporter, the Darren is, things are great. That's the story they're telling because you got out of a difficult situation when you're younger. Right. But in your mind, so that everyone else out there who isn't a professional athlete or who isn't a celebrity can relate to you and say, I'm not alone. Same here is. Wow. So. So just because you were drafted by the WNBA and you had a house, things aren't perfect at this point. Right. So meek if you don't mind kind of continuing some of your story from there and then maybe even like theo after meek goes kind of the comparison between both your stories is, is mind-boggling to me as i'm hearing them next to each other it's just awesome
0: right so here i am now trying to get like socially adjusted i would say you know to kind of like get my bearings on things to continue to perform at a high level you know knowing what that takes because for me as as we all know for college to professionals basketball any sports is different because now I'm on a team with grown women, like women with kids, you know, I'm on a team with people who want to party all night and drink all night, but they, they got that Dennis Rodman in them. They can come play though. They they're going to show up. So, you know, the coach didn't have that much control, you know? And so things were just kind of like going all over the place. I, I started playing for all these different coaches. They were getting fired left and right. And on top of that, my grandmother dies and that's when everything just went rock bottom and I lost that one stable um, piece of my life and I did there never it, is. it doesn't it doesn't it doesn't
2: just happen <laughs> right like it, it doesn't just all the stories all the people who think they haven't experienced it but really have mm-hmm. they think it just happens there's a moment of break no it doesn't no it doesn't it happens for a reason
0: yeah it, it, you're right and then it happened and that's boy, it just knocked the air out of my lungs. And I just really went into a dark place. Um, you know, I started um, even like hanging out with my friends more. I started really masking my emotions. I remember a teammate told me, and I was never like a big drinker. My team, one of my teammates told me, hey, after the games, if you can't sleep and stuff, just have a glass of wine, right? And it was like my first time, like, all right, wine. But then I'm like, yo, I'm drinking a whole bottle now. And then I'm like, super energized. And I'm like, oh, let's go hang out. Let's go do this and that. And, you know, people are just rolling with me. And I just, I just could not be by myself. I could just not have that, that stillness, you know, the focus. I would, I would go to practice. I would work hard. And I felt like in the back of my mind, like do these people, some of my teammates like know my secrets. Do they know that I'm not sleeping, that I just want to be out. I want to have people around me all the time. So I started getting really paranoid. And then from there, I just, I just really had like those episodes and just lost, you know. I just lost uh, my whole of reality. It was just really dark. And then it goes to like a whole different thing because I remember when I had the first episode and they were like, oh, you know, I'm missing an action and all that stuff. And then just having to deal with the sports world, having to deal with them telling me I'm like suicidal, having them put me on these meds like emergency medication, and then. You know a couple of days later expected me to play on this like it was a lot going on i i, I really was playing basketball like high as a as <laughs> out of my mind like i i think about it to this day i just remember they put me on lithium and i remember me arguing with the lady and i look up and i'm like why how can you tell me that i'm suicidal you don't know me you just meeting me for the first time and i got really irate and the people that were there to support me or whatever um, they're like, okay, you just have to take this or whatever. So I take it, and then Coach Summit, you know, comes in town. She talks to me. She's there for me, and so I'm like, okay, I can get through this because I'm, I'm used to pushing through tough things, you know. And I go, and I never forget. I'm playing Detroit Shock, and Bill Laimbeer is the coach, and I just remember coming court. I scored, and it felt like the twilight zone as I'm running back. It was like a slow motion, and I look at, I look at Bill Laimbeer, and I just like set my eyes on him. And I started to head back up the court to go back on offense after the defensive play. And then I was like, man, I can't do this no more. I can't I just can't function. I can't do this.
2: Yeah and the the, uh, the quick medication thing is is the thing where I weigh in because I didn't you know I, I was uh, at the Olympics reporting um, for NBC and CNBC you know on the air every day and you know the minute I get there I'm like, major anxiety like out of nowhere not you know and and there's this disconnect between the word anxiety and being anxious which is they're not similar it's unfortunate that there's not another word um but but the emergency medi- medication was you know 300 milligrams of seroquel which was basically like you're not sleeping um you need to sleep but then not thinking about the fact that I needed to get up and be on television. And when people hear that that I was on 300 milligrams, they're like, so you were in bed all day. I'm like, no, I was on national television. And and when I did use the prompter, I saw the words moving around, jumping and shaking. (laughs) And I'm trying to make it through here. So I made it through every single day. But I was I, I don't I still can't tell you today whether it was my anxiety or that medication, but but I was beyond beyond gone. And I said many times I can't I can't do this. And somehow I convinced my my rational self that, like, if I this is a big moment in my career, if I don't get through this, then my career is definitely over. Um, and so I just kept I just kept pushing. Um, but that but that moment where it's like, oh, we got to solve her quick. We got to solve him quick. Like that still exists. And that that's actually like the worst part, because I was so vulnerable and they're telling you they can solve you quick and they telling you that there's a medication that can help you out. And you almost like rely on it, but like 95% of the time, that alone is going to fail, which sets you up for an even worse situation. Mm-hmm.
1: And, and you know, Darren, your story, and then we just had Theo and, and Shamiko share their story. It's like, if you're in the public eye, like the three of you were, you're going to have organizations and the system behind you telling you we need you out there, essentially, without saying that many words and giving you those things. For the average everyday person, I always try to vacillate between the two. We put that pressure on ourselves, right? Like, this is my job, this is what I've done my whole life. If I don't perform, if I can't get that quick fix, I'm gonna lose it, everything that I've built up and that I've worked for is is gonna be taken away from me. Yet, you know, we make these comparisons between physical and mental health all the time. But, you know, if you tear your ACL um, and you can't get into the office, this is pre-COVID era, no one was going to question you if you needed a couple days because you needed to rest that that ACL because of the surgery you just had, right? And the extremes that, you know, Chimico went through, that Theo went through, that Darren, you just shared – those were extremes. You got, you, you know, because, you know, you, you had your nose to the ground, and you were working hard, it, you waited until a real break. And so, I, I, you know, hearing that, it really it infuriates me and it scares me that I think we're still at a place in society where we were expected that, like, perform, 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 break down, at breakdown, take this magic substance. This magic substance is going to get you better right away and then go work right back at the same level that you were before. How unrealistic is that guys? And, and I ask how unrealistic that is because Theo, you said to me, and this is where I want you and Shamiqua to have a back and forth in this. We had that comedy event and you, when someone said, are you gonna be in therapy the rest of your life? You said, I'm gonna be in therapy the rest of my life and I'm completely okay with it. And I laughed and said, no one would have to say that about going to the gym. They'd say you're a warrior, right? And 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 every time I've talked with Shamiqua, and she's always said to me, I'm not cured. I'm a work in progress. Every day is a work. Every day is, is, is a working towards my being my best self. Right. And so if you guys don't mind talking about, it, because I think the narrative needs to change out there that you were sick and now you're healthy. That's just not reality. Right.
3: Well, especially when it comes to mental illness, you know, it's, uh, you know, this is a lifelong journey. Right. And, uh, you know, uh, I just want our listeners to know there's nothing, nothing glamorous about being a professional athlete. Just the paycheck, that's it, you know. Everything else is very regimented, uh, you know. We see the inside of rinks, the inside of airports, the inside of hotels, and the odd bar and strip joint. You know, other than that, you know, it's – do whatever you can to get ready to play at 7 o'clock every night. doesn't matter what kind of shape you're in. We don't care how much shit you put in your body. We just need you to be at your optimum level of performance when the lights come on and, uh, you know, they drop the puck and, uh, you know, the way you go and, and you have to, push everything aside, you know, that's going on in your life. And uh and all they care about is performance at the end of the day. And when you stop performing at the level that they expect you to, uh, you know, it uh you know, it you're just done, you know? Like we've gotten everything out of you we possibly can and uh yeah, good luck. Good luck in retirement, you know, and, uh, um, you know, here I was, uh, you know, I had a grade 12 diploma, that's it, when I left my my sport, you know, and I had more than half my life left to live and I had no idea what the rest of my life was going to look like and, you know, thank God I found the courage and the strength to tell my story because when I did that, you know, I really stepped into, you know, my true purpose in life and that was to you know, do the work that, that I continue to do on a daily basis. And, uh, cause without that, I, I don't think that, uh, you know, that I would be here, you know, to be honest.
1: And, and Meek, you talk a lot about transition, you know, you, you, you found this place now where, you know, <laughs> I laugh with you cause I have to send an email full disclosure. I have to send an email to Meek probably once a week cause people are reaching out saying, how do we get to Meek to talk? Um, <laughs> And and so you, you've been out there, you've been telling your story and you're open about it. But, you know, back to that point that Theo was making that, you know, mental health or to the point where we get to mental illness is a lifelong thing. That transition out of being a basketball player was difficult for you, too. Right, Meek?
0: Probably the best thing ever. <laughs> um, but it was great because, for once you, you know, I was in a place and I know some of my colleagues that when I first said it, everybody was like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah, because you guys called me crazy. You guys called me all these things and tried to make me feel, you know, from some of the teams that I played on in management, tried to make me feel different. When I'm coming to you as an athlete saying, I need help. You know, I need to see a psychiatrist. You got to remember, I played on a team once where um, I had was suffering an injury and they were getting me to every doctor. And I'll never forget when my coach came back to me and said, hey, um, I just want you to know we had great insurance and everything or uh, the team is not paying for your psych- psych- uh, psychiatrist, but um, I'll pay for it. And I was like, oh, no, I'll pay for it myself. And I was just really like, are you serious? Like, you'll pay for my ankle injury, but the thing that I've struggled with the most is, like, my mental health, and you won't pay for that. So I think for me, it was tough, you know, uh, I, I, I was, I'm going to be honest, I didn't miss it. I missed the camaraderie of, like, my teammates, the, the sisterhood, but I, I didn't miss the stress that came with it, you know, especially when I started having those challenges, because there was a lot of people, um, I would say, that weren't mature about the situation, um, people that I know, you know, it's 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 crazy how you say things, you got to be careful how you treat people, because sometimes they could come back and bite you in your ass, and you know, it's been people that um, have have written about me, Darren. I never forget. A reporter came up to me. He said, "I just want to apologize." I, a big paper, too. He goes, "I wrote a shitty story about you," um, and 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 his wife was going through mental health issues. And it takes a lot, you know. Anybody's apologizing, I can accept that. But to have people just like you say these these hurtful things, and then now years later. You know, they're like, well, you know, that was brave of you. I was struggling with something similar. I just didn't know how to express it at that time. So it made my skin so tough, you know, and um, I think that's something my grandmother and Coach Summit instilled in, in me. Like, you know, you hit the ground, but that New Yorker in me, I had to fight back and I had to do it without that celebration and all those people since I was 12 years old that have lifted me up a part of the sports community lifted me up. I had to do it without them. And now I feel like so much better. I feel like I, I'm living my truth. I know who I am. You know, I, I, I no longer, I was always kind of shy. So I was always like, I step in the room, I'm so much more confident because you, yeah, I've gone through shit, you know, I've, I've gone through life and I'm persevering I'm I, I built New York tough and I, and I feel great about that. And it's a certain, I don't know, it's a certain confidence that I guess being in a pit, when you come out of that, man, you just a different person.
2: <laughs> Can I ask you this question? Cause me, mm-hmm. Theo and you are all in different baskets. I continued mm-hmm. and got through it and had help along the way, but it was a private struggle. Theo mm-hmm. was out and he had a private struggle but you know like but he actually wasn't doing the same thing he did in his career and you had the struggle while you were still in the midst of your career so mm-hmm. how did the fact that people knew your secret right and 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 people were judging you as you were still in your career how did that then affect your ability to get better Did it, was it a distraction? Was it a, was it a help? How did that work out?
0: Man, it was actually, uh, it was, it was a distraction. Um, It forced me to really isolate, but I was, I was isolating because I didn't trust people. You know, it was, it was a different type of thing. Um, I was trying to still, you know, work um, and move forward, working on things. But I just think if I could have just been my whole self, you know, and I was accepted for that. Um, I think I would have just been in a, in a better place. It's always like I'm just carrying this baggage, you know. Yes, I, I I come out of it. I'm doing better. Oh, okay. Here you go. I'm community. I'm WNBA Community Person of the Year, you know, because um, <laughs> I, yeah, yeah, yeah. I went. I was I was Community Person of the Year. Ooh, took my took my picture because, um, uh, you know, I started opening up and, and and talking about that. So now it's like, all right, you know, she's doing all these great things, and it's just like okay, like I'm a human being. What if, I, what if I wasn't doing that? You still know I struggle for these things. Are you still trying to aid me and trying to assist me? But like Theo said, it's about, man, what can you do on your court, on your field? You got to show up. You got to get it done. That's, that's the only thing people want to hear at the end of the day or see. That's it. That's what they want to see. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Uh, the, the, the parallels just across all these, it, it's, you know, I know both of you for three years, I know Darren for three years now in a, in a friendship type of way, obviously I knew you guys playing. And it, like when you hear the stories next to each other, it, it gives you goosebumps in a way because you're just, you're so taken by how much the human experience, I mean, I like my, my mind was going to like Theo, male hockey player, we're tough, we don't show emotion. And then Chamiko, like women's basketball player, looked at on the hardwood instead of the ice, different sport different gender than Theo, but like you hear this thread of what goes on and the buildup over time of the stuff you're handling and that invisible bag that we're all carrying, that that bag is getting heavier and heavier unless we reach in and we pull things out and we start working on it, the thread is there. And, and I think, you know, tell me if this is a, a good question to start to, to wrap up on is you know, you look at someone like a Tiger Woods. Okay, Theo's a huge golf fan, mm-hmm. right? So, so, so Theo will love oh, okay. this question, right? But like, mm-hmm. for you two who are professional athletes, and you watch a Tiger Woods, you watch an Andrew Luck, right? Um, you see the way some careers unravel. Immediately, does your mind go to like, this is mental health? Like, and, and people aren't noticing it right away. They're making excuses saying like his knee is hurt, right? Like, Oh, he's got to rehab his knee back or, you know, well, he got into that fight with, with his wife and, and and yeah. So that's a distraction for anyone. Like, have you guys been through enough that you're able to start to recognize these patterns in public figures that like, these are mental health stories.
3: Yeah. But they're, they're trauma stories. Right. That's what that's what they are. They're trauma stories, you know and and when I saw my one of my heroes and my idol, Tiger Woods, you know, fall as quickly as he did, you know, I actually sent an email to his foundation and said, you know I'm Tiger's biggest fan. Uh, I've been through what he's been through. Uh, you know, if there's any way that I can help uh, you know, please, please contact me. And, and, uh, you know, I just felt compelled because, um, I know what it's like to be alone. I know what it's like to, uh, crash and burn in the spotlight and in the media. Um, you know, when, you know, I was, I think I was either leading the NHL in scoring or was really close. I think I was in the top five and, uh, you know they removed me from the NHL in February they came in took me out and you know the next you know I play against the Ottawa Senators I get a couple points and then I go out and I party all night and then there's a limousine at my house the next morning to take me to rehab you know and and uh I was embarrassed I was uh full of shame I was full of all this stuff and and uh you know here i am in a rehab center you know picking up the newspaper to find out you know how my team did and you know there was nothing i could do to contribute where i contributed my whole life my whole existence my everything team 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 and here i am in a rehab center can't and so it
2: comes be- from redefining yourself like you were just theo flurry the hockey player you had more worth to what you are worth from someone else on the outside than worth to yourself. Uh, yeah. And, you know, that's, that's part of the redefining that you have to do yeah. along with the accepting that, you know, this is your life and this is your path. And when you understand that this is ultimately a positive
3: that mm-hmm. gets you back there, um, yeah. and you you're, not gonna be, the, you're not going to know yourself. You want to know the interesting thing though is not once In the two and a half months I was in rehab, that anybody talked about mental health. Right. Right. In two and a half months. Nobody ever get out of here. I swear to God. I swear to God. And all I was doing What what were you rehabbing from then? Alcohol addiction? No, I started I started to unpack my trauma. I started talking about my sexual abuse, you know? And uh, but really, what was going on was was I was using alcohol and drugs. So right. vodka and cocaine was my Syroquil. Yep. Vodka and cocaine was my Paxil. You know what I mean? And and uh, so they made um, it about the subject that you got. No, like it was. everybody, instead of Every like the next year when I went into Long Island to play against the, the Islanders. 20,000 people are yelling crackhead. Yep, exactly. And and, and oh, I was, wow. I'm i not
1: letting Darren off the hook from a media standpoint, not that Darren stands for the whole media, but Theo is saying they didn't talk about mental health, right? And people are focusing on the addiction. Get rid of the addiction. And people are coming to the NASA Coliseum and they're saying media, media
2: doesn't care whether they worked on mental health. They just know that Theo is in rehab. Yeah,
1: the term crackhead and the term addict sells more and, and, than he and, has and, trauma. And that's why and I brought crack- up the, the Tiger Woods thing is because we're watching this accumulation over time. And I'm watching this story and people go to, well, the fight with his wife. That's what caused this. And th- th- there's a singular answer for it or knee injury, right? That's what's causing his, his downfall in play. And I hear... Shamiko's story, I hear Theo's story, Darren, I hear your story, I know my own story, I, we speak to people every single day, it's an accumulation of this stuff over time, if anyone's not watched the Tiger Wood documentary, please do it you start to see the relationship with him and his father and the pressure that his father put on him to be this perfect individual, to be the person who is going to bring all different facets of life and all different people together and heal people. And he had to say the right thing at the right time. And he had to marry the right girl. And it like over time, these things build and it becomes too heavy and people start to unravel and that, is the common thread that's what we need to talk about and we don't need to make the incessant focus media knock knock the where yeah go ahead but
3: where where is where is compassion in all of this like where where is it you know where's empathy where where where's those things that that bring us together vulnerability right And, and in the in the space and the reason why we're doing this podcast is we're changing the language and we're making it more acceptable, more comfortable. But if we're not talking about vulnerability, if we're not talking about compassion, if we're not talking about empathy, the, the conversation is never going to change. Right. And, uh, you know, everybody loves to see an athlete who's been at the highest, highest levels crash and burn. Where's the compassion? Where's the empathy in there? Where's the, where's the? I need to ask more questions about why this this person is is you know life is why is why is their life imploding? They have all the money in the world. They have all the that means nothing. You know, I'm not I I'm not playing my sport to be a millionaire. I'm playing my sport because I love it. I love to compete. I love to physically, emotionally, spiritually beat somebody, you know, on the the ice. And yeah, bonus, they paid me all this money. But all this money caused me more stress. And, you know, my phone never stopped ringing. People I never, you know relatives I, I barely had any contact with were calling me and asking me for money and I'm like what
0: mm-hmm.
3: what is this you know am I am I only here as a source of income and a piece of meat does not anybody care that that you know tonight as I'm sitting in my stall I'm having a panic attack tying my skates getting ready to go on the ice
1: mm-hmm.
3: you know? well
1: uh, you know it, it again it it to hear it from you all who are in the public eye and 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 it we don't see it and then to hear you talk about it now and be open about it this is what's needed in this space and i wanted to give since she's a our guest tonight and has been awesome in her vulnerability not just tonight but generally and that's why i feel honored not only that she's a part of our alliance but that i can call her a friend and that we rap about things just that are going on in life generally because she's someone who I know can understand going through challenges. Meek, I wanted to give you kind of the the platform to be able to, to wrap us up here in, in that, you know, maybe react to what Theo said there is, is that the key here to changing the narrative and to moving us forward? Is it getting beyond the labels, getting beyond just the service level stuff and actually diving in a deep way in a vulnerable way that opens things up?
0: Yeah, I think now just this, this podcast and being able to share stories, you know, uh, with the increase in social media, you know, stories are healing, stories are helping change lives, and it's also teaching people. You know, sometimes you have to. I always said since I was younger, my granny's taught you have to teach people how to treat you. You know, and it's just so important. Like he talks about, he's talking about kindness. He like kindness, compassion. You know, a lot of people unfortunately don't have that in, in them, but by you speaking of it, you know, by me speaking of it, because it's something that I address, you know, I had to teach some people, some of my own family members about it, you know, Um, you're creating a change, you know, and I see now this is my younger cousins growing up. um, I see the people that I deal with on a regular and how they address me and approach me now uh, from a more sincere rooted place. And so, you know, what what we're doing, sharing, uh, sharing, things that aren't comfortable, you know, we're sharing some real shit, man, <laughs> you know, and, and, and digging in those crates. And even this conversation that we're having now, yes, we're working in progress, but it still stirs up. I hear Darren say something, I'm like, oh man, I remember that time or Theo or yourself. So, you know, it's just one day at a time, but the key is, and and this is like been key to me, maybe not everybody else, but you gotta try to build a good support system, you know? And it's not always going to be your family unfortunately you know um you know it's a lot of people i i I used to go to a peer group y'all and it was the most uncomfortable thing right because i'm like these people are gonna start talking about basketball or something and i went and i had to do it to get out of my shell to just kind of like kick that persona to the side and I walked away with some amazing friends. I, I walked away with understanding how the world worked a little bit better. And just me going out there and taking the little pieces of, of, of understanding that those people gave me a little pieces of joy and spreading that to others that, understanding that I could create a shift. So that's just how I try to like live my life. None of us have all the answers, right? None of us. Um, but we're brave enough see, that's the key to be able to use our voices uh, affect change
2: Shamika Holdsclaw six-time WNBA all-star (sighs) two-time Naismith award winner (laughs) WNBA rookie of the year first pick in the 1999 WNBA draft um, on and on and on and what is so great and obviously with Tennessee three-time national champion uh, what is so great is that um Uh, You will be known just as much for your work here with mental health or even more. Um, I think Theo's at a point where he's even more. Such accomplished uh, athletes, um, but as people for contributing to, by telling your stories, by living your stories, you are helping others. And we hope that everyone listening here today Uh, enjoyed your story and it's not only about you it's about everyone listening and we hope that they they can take lessons from what you shared with us so for uh theo flurry and eric hewson you are listening to we're all a little crazy podcast um on the hockey podcast network and we'll see you next week You just heard we're all a little crazy brought to you by the hashtag
1: same here global mental health movement and the hockey podcast network.